Okay, we are in the book of Exodus. We've been working through this the last few weeks. We're in Exodus chapter 20 today. And the book of Exodus, if you don't know this story, it's one of the most kind of evocative, um, powerful stories in the whole of the Bible. Uh, And it tells the story of the Israelites, the people of God, and how God delivers them and rescues them, draws them out of Egypt, where they were in slavery for 400 years, and leads them into his promises. He draws them out to draw them in to himself. Um, And where we've got to in the story is that we've, we've passed the moment in the Red Sea where where God leads them out and defeats the Egyptians. And now we found them last week where they're encamped at the bottom of Mount Sinai. So we're expecting them to kind of be drawn out and drawn into the promised land where God's taking them. But that actually doesn't happen for quite a long time. And they spend a big chunk of time now at the bottom of this mountain. And there's actually something very important that's happening here. And part of that we're going to look at today. So I'm going to read the first 21 verses here that will come up on the screen behind me now. So here we go. It says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You should not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall work and labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. 
Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for this word, the Bible, that is food for our souls, that satisfies us with uh, not just wisdom and knowledge of you, but helps us, enables us to meet you, to know you. And that's our prayer this morning, is God, before anything else, we want to know the Father in heaven who loves us dearly. And we want to be drawn ever more into that wonderful relationship with you. And we pray that as we look at this passage together, that you would draw us closer to you. Amen. Amen. Now, what we've just read, known as the Ten Commandments, uh, is probably one of the most famous parts of the Bible. You know, people, whether they go to church or not, would probably have heard of the Ten Commandments. Uh, It's often referenced in movies and all sorts of things. Um, I guess, you know, from the Old Testament, it would probably be the creation story and the Ten Commandments would probably be the two most famous bits And they're also probably the two most misunderstood bits of the Bible, particularly the Ten Commandments, perhaps the most misunderstood part of the whole Bible, because people tend to believe two things. You might believe, firstly, that Christianity is all about these Ten Commandments. That's the very essence of Christianity, of religion, is, is this, following these rules and these commands, and you probably, if you think that, you probably think that this is everything that is wrong with Christianity. Everything that's bad about religion is lists of rules that you have to follow. And for many people, that's why they don't come to church. Uh, Maybe for you, maybe you've just kind of stumbled in here today, but it's the reason that you don't really like the church or Christianity or God, because you think it's just all about this. For many people, it's they think that Christianity is this dull and gray and oppressive, legalistic, tyrannical thing that really we've kind of overthrown now, that Christianity is something of the past, it's something of medieval times that we've moved on from now, that we don't need all these laws and rules and commandments anymore. That's what some people think. Other people would think something very different. They would think that Christianity is now not about these Ten Commandments at all, that maybe once it was, but not anymore, that that's kind of gone now. Um, and you, at best, at the most, they would merely be kind of ten suggestions, you know, ten kind of vaguely good ideas that you may or may not want to put into practice, uh, that essentially the, the New Testament part of the Bible, that's the good bit, that's where we meet this kind of happy, loving God, and the Old Testament is this angry God who's full of laws and rules and things to do. So those are the two kind of positions. People either seem to think that Christianity is all about this and that's why they don't like it, or Christianity is not about this at all. Um, And that's what we're going to try and unpack today is, well, how how should we understand the Ten Commandments? What what are these all about? 
Um, should we follow them? And if we are to, then how are we to do that? So that's what we're going to look at today. And to help us to understand the Ten Commandments, then there's a few uh, titles that I've got just to help guide us through. First of all, we need to understand the context of it. Whenever you read anything in, in the Bible, you need to understand the context as in what's happening around that bit of the story. You can't just read a verse and then kind of you know, put it up on your fridge and build your life around it. You have to see, well, what else is going on? You know, what else does the Bible say about this issue? And the best way to do that is you start and you work, you work out like in a kind of circular method. So you read what else it's saying in that chapter, what else it's saying in that book, what else it's saying around it, and you just kind of work out. And if we do that with this passage, what we find is that the, the Israelites who God's speaking to now, they've, they've come from somewhere and they're going to somewhere. So they've come out of, historians aren't exactly sure how long, but probably about 400 years of slavery. That's where they've come out of. And they're going to Canaan, the promised land where God's leading them to. So it's important. To, so when God's coming and bringing them these laws, you have to understand the context. It's important where they've come from and where they're, where they're going to. And what God is doing is he's helping to on one hand, just kind of reorder and re-engineer and rebuild what they believe. Because actually none of these Ten Commandments are perhaps the first time they were written down for them, but they're not anything particularly new. If you read the story of the Bible so far, none of these are a surprise. But if they've just been 400 years in Egypt, surrounded by all sorts of foreign gods, all sorts of idols that were built up before them, then that's why God says to them in the first command, you should have no other gods before me. Because he's saying to them, the situation you've come out of is not the way to live. There's something better for you. And he knows that they're going into Canaan, which is a land of many, many, many false gods. So again, he has to remind them, because of where you're going, you need to know that there's only one true God that you should worship. So he's, on one hand, reordering and re-engineering his people from where they've come from, and he's preparing them for where they're going to. And the Ten Commandments help them, help them to do that. Secondly, covenant. Still thinking in terms of context, if we go back to the chapter we were in last week, chapter 19, we would have read this. It says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you should be my treasured people among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. See, God's calling them out as part of his covenant with them. He's made like this, this marriage bond, this covenant agreement with his people. And in this covenant, he says, first of all, that he wants them to be a treasured possession. More than anything, God's called them to be his special, his prize, the people he dearly loves. So that's why the first, of the, the first four of the Ten Commandments are all about their relationship with God. They're all about how the people are supposed to meet with God, how they're supposed to know God. They're all about their kind of vertical relationship with their father. But then it goes on. The next part of the covenant here is 
be my treasure possession among all the peoples. All the earth is mine. You should be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then the, the rest of the commandments are all about uh, their relationships with people around them and how they should relate to people within their community because God's calling them out to be a holy nation. So the first four are about their vertical relationship with God and the next are about their relationships, their horizontal relationships with each other. God's calling them to love each other dearly, to cherish each other, to serve and honor and respect one another, to be faithful to one another. And that then is to be this light to the nations that's supposed to shine out. So we need to understand the context and the covenant. And then we need to understand, whenever you read the Bible, you need to understand the, the bias, the kind of cultural bias, the, what you bring to the table when you read the Bible. So everyone, whether you like it or not, you, whenever you read anything really, you read it through a certain kind of interpretive grid, through your own special spectacles. Okay, so when you come and read the Bible, your own worldview then speaks into it and interprets it. So for someone who lived 500 years ago, they probably would have read the Bible differently to how we would because they would value different things. Different things would be important to them. They'd have different life experiences that they're working through. So they would interpret the Bible for themselves differently. So we have to understand how we come to the Bible and how we understand it and how the world around us understands it and how that shapes us. So in the city we live in, there are certain types of morality um, that, are, that are applauded, that are seen as important and right and true, and there are other parts of morality that are seen as false or people just aren't really interested in. So in the society around us, people are very interested in, and they applaud and hold up, um, care for the vulnerable, you know, which we all believe is important. And they would hold up, uh, for instance, what was the one I scribbled down here? Tolerance. But we must be tolerant of people. Even if we disagree with them, we must be tolerant of people. We live in this pluralistic society where multiple different worldviews, even if they are opposing, are seen to be as equally valid. We're a tolerant society. But other types of morality people don't like, or at least we don't talk about them much. So in the city around us, issues like sanctity, which for thousands of years has been an important moral value, but at the moment, people don't like to talk about sanctity that much. It's not seen as a big deal. Or even order and authority. Any society that wants to have any sort of moral values to it needs to have some order to it, needs to have authority. But those words kind of scare people nowadays. People don't like it when you talk about order and authority. People don't like it when you say we need to obey things, we need to do things. So when we read the Ten Commandments, some this list of you shall not, you shall not, that can kind of scare us because we're trained in this individualistic society that the only thing that matters is what we feel and want. Nobody gets to tell me what to do. Nobody can say, well, you shall do this and you shall not do that. I get to decide that for myself. So when we read these commandments, they can scare us a little bit, and we have to make sure we take that cultural bias and we put it to one side and try and read what the Bible is actually saying to us and not just interpret it the way that the world around us would want to interpret it to. And you might think, what's, what's wrong with any 
cultural bias. We lived in a world that surely society is progressing. The world around us is getting better and better. So what we understand now, surely that's better than what we understood thousands of years ago. So therefore, what's wrong with bringing some of the new things we learned to the table? You know, we're free from this religious tyranny now, so why should we listen to you shall not, etc., etc.? Why should we listen to that? Well, you have to understand that even the city around us, the society, the world we live in, it has its own set of commandments that it follows, unbreakable commandments. Even a society that's supposed to be tolerant, there's a lot of intolerance around us. So a couple of weeks ago, a Canadian lecturer called Jordan Peterson, you might have heard of him, he came to speak at the University of Amsterdam, and I've not read his book, so I can't really comment. I've heard people talk about him, and some of what he says I agree with, and other bits I don't. But he came to talk at the university, and there was a huge uproar, because all the professors and everyone at the university, they wrote this big long letter, and they sent it to the paper, saying that they would only let him speak um, if he had, he had to have someone who was going to oppose him on the stage with him, to argue him down at all times. And because they had this big long list of all these things that he says and believes that basically undermine their worldview, that undermine what they like. So like, we, he can come and speak as long as he says things that we agree with. We'll be tolerant with him as long as he agrees with us. And if he disagrees with us, then we can't have that. Because it undermines the world we live in. So in a, even in a supposedly tolerant society, we don't like it when people say things that think, hold on a second, that's, we don't believe that anymore. How can you say that? And all of the time, that's going to become more and more of an issue for us. And we have to make sure we're reading what the Bible actually is trying to say to us, not what we are bringing to the table. Next one, we need to remember, remember the Red Sea. Such an important moment in this story when God has led the Israelites out of Egypt. He's delivered them. He's brought them into freedom, into this new place of liberty now. So that's why this chapter starts, Exodus 20. See, because often we take the Ten Commandments and we just even we pull them out of the chapter itself and we forget what it says at the start of the chapter. Which says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So right at the very start of this list of rules, God is saying, I've rescued you. You're redeemed now. You're liberated. You're free. That's how God starts this list, is to say you're free. You have liberty now. Because what he's saying to them is liberty is not found in freedom from law. Liberty is found in freedom from slavery. It's really important that you understand the distinction, the difference there. You don't find liberty in freedom from law. You find it in freedom from slavery, from bondage, from things that tie you down, that hold you down. So what we're talking about here is, is a kind of liberated obedience. That's what you get now if you're a follower of Jesus. You get this liberated obedience. You get to follow God in perfect liberty, but still following what he says to us. Because if you don't have 
If you have liberty without any constraints, well, that's just anarchy, isn't it? If you say liberty and you can do whatever you want, that's just anarchy, and that's when the world around us starts to fall down. That's when your life starts to fall down. If you don't have any restrictions on your life, how does that go for you? You just think, I'm going to eat and drink whatever I want. Just whatever I want, forever. That won't go well for you. You can do it for a day or a week. If you do that permanently, then that's not going to be good for you. We had some, some friends in England who they decided they, want to give, they wanted to give their kids. They didn't want to put any restrictions on their kids. So they said to their daughter, who was, I think, eight or nine years old at the time, you can eat whatever you want. And she said, well, I just want to eat crisps, you know, like potato chips, you know? So that's just what she ate. It didn't really do her a lot of good, because it wouldn't, would it? It's, we, we, even on ourselves, we impose restrictions that we've learned, you know, maybe eat an apple a day or whatever, you know, a bit of a tip for you there, but things like that just to kind of help us along, help us along the way. Because there was a, I don't know if you saw it this week, there was a, a, a story in the news that I couldn't really tell whether it was true or it was a joke, because it was kind of ridiculous, of this guy here in the Netherlands who was arguing, he was trying to take it to court and say that he didn't want to be recognized as 69 years old, but he wanted to be 49 years old. He felt that the age was a restriction put on him that was bad. Have you heard about this story? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's funny. And there's a, a video that I watched, <laughs> which he said, Part of his rationale was that he said, when I, when I go onto Tinder, you know, <laughs> all the women that I meet are my age, and I, I want to meet women that are, are 20 years younger, and they tell me that I should just lie about my age. He said, but I don't want to lie, I just want to be myself. That's what he said. And I thought, but <laughs> you're not 49, you're 69. Like, ah, this is crazy. But that's what happens if you think, well, I'm, I'm going to have total liberty without any restrictions, then in a sense, he's, he's, if that's the society we live in, then in, in a way he can kind of do that. But can you see how dangerous that is? Even thought, how is he, as he gets older, how will he interact with healthcare? As in how, how will people care for him properly if they don't actually know how, how old he actually is? You know, if you begin to impose that on a society and people can just pick their age, how do we protect the elderly and how do we protect children if age doesn't matter anymore? Even age in some kind of weird restriction, hopefully we can see that as a good thing. As a law, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be a wonderfully positive, releasing thing for us. Next one, we need to understand... Understand our design, how we're made. Because the Bible teaches us that we're made in the image of God. And the Ten Commandments, actually they reflect the very nature of who God is. They reflect the very nature of who Jesus is. It says in Hebrews 1 that Jesus is the exact imprint of God the Father. So when we read the Ten Commandments, we're actually reading about what Jesus is like. So when we read it, it says, you shall not commit adultery. What that's telling us is that our God is a faithful God. That he doesn't commit adultery on us. That he doesn't cheat against his people. 
And therefore, if we're made in the image of God, and if we want to be like God, then we shouldn't do that either. So when we read the Ten Commandments, we're reading about what God is like and how we get to reflect that in ourselves. So the, the obvious question is, so it, can't, it might sound to you like that I'm saying that maybe Christianity is all about the Ten Commandments. And the question is, well, should we, should we follow them? Which this is where it may get a little complicated for you. So should we follow them? Well, first of all, we've got to remember this, the Bible teaches that we're, those of us who are now believers in Jesus, it means we're not under the law anymore. It's really important you understand it. You're not under the law. Talks about it in Galatians 3, in fact, all the way through Galatians. It says here, so in verses 24 and 25, so then the law was before our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We're no longer under law anymore. If you understand it, there's this, the Bible talks about an old covenant and a new covenant. And the very core of the old covenant, what it's kind of built around, it is these Ten Commandments. But now we're under a new covenant. So something has changed, something has shifted now. So in, in Romans 7, it talks about how we've, how we've died to the law. It says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another to whom has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit from God. And Romans 7 uses this picture. It talks about marriage. And that if, if you're married to a husband, you're married under the law, as in an agreement has been made, you know, and you go and you sign the thing, the document, the registry office, wherever you go, and that's official. A law has been made that you're now married. But if your husband dies, that law ceases to have any power over you because you can't be married to a dead person. That doesn't work anymore. And they're saying in the same way that we're no longer under the law because now, if you're a believer in Jesus, Romans 7 says we're married to Christ. We belong to another. So that old law, we're no longer under that anymore. But that doesn't mean, what it doesn't mean is the law is dead. This is where it might get a bit confusing for you. We're not under the law, but it doesn't mean the law is just dismissed and gone and forgotten forever because Jesus says this in Matthew 5, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, which is a long way away, that's a long time in the future, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So, for instance, if you think about it, in the Ten Commandments it says that we should honor our father and mother. So are we to say, well, we're, we're no longer under the old covenant, we're not under the law anymore, we're under this new covenant, that means I don't need to honor my father and mother anymore. Or now we could say, well, it's said that I shouldn't commit adultery, but do Paul and Jesus say, now, do what you want? No, <laughs> it doesn't say that. Of course we're gonna read that and think, yes, that's how I wanna live. We can't just say the law just has no relevance to our life anymore and we can just wash it away. The law isn't dead. But what it's saying is that what we need now 
What you need is not more law-keeping. You don't need any more religion in your life. That's what the, the New Testament is trying to teach us. It's not about doing more things, ticking more things off a list. There's a fascinating encounter with, in Luke chapter 18 where Jesus meets this rich ruler, it describes him as, who, who comes and says to Jesus and says, I've, I've, he basically kind of arrogantly says, I've done all the commandments. I've, you know, I played the game. I completed all the levels. I'm done. You know, do I get to heaven now? I've done all this stuff. And Jesus uh, says to him, he says, there's one thing you still need to do. Sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and come follow me. And he's not issuing a new, he's not adding a new thing to the list, commandment number 11, sell everything. What Jesus is doing is he's talking to this rich ruler and he knows that the idol in his life is his money. And he's saying to him, that doesn't, you're worshipping the wrong thing. He's taking him back to the first commandment and he's saying, you have another God before me. But then he finishes and Jesus says, come follow me. That, that, that's what Jesus is, is, is calling him to. That's the lifestyle that he's saying, come follow me. And that needs to be our heart. It's not more religion and rule keeping and ticking off to-do lists. It's, I'm going to follow Jesus. That, that's what it's really about now. Because what can happen is, if you're not careful, you, you, you become a, a believer in Jesus but we very quickly can kind of stumble back into, we can stumble back into, into religion. And we, we think that we need to try harder. And you read these 10 commandments, maybe you've read them before. Um, I'm sure many of you are aware of them. And if we're not careful, they can lead us into a place of condemnation. We just think, oh, I'm just not good enough. I've just, I've just I've failed so many times. You might even be here today, this morning, and, and assess your week and think, what a mess I made <laughs> of that situation, that conversation. You know, I lost my temper there. I didn't do my job very well there. I failed in so many different ways. The things I thought I want nobody to ever know about them, they're horrible. And you can sit here this morning and you can sing these songs of worship in here is a teacher from the Bible, and you can go away inspired and think, I'm going to go and try harder. And that's not the gospel, because it won't work. You might have a day or a week where things go really well, and very quickly you'll slip back into those old patterns of life again. Trying harder, keeping on working, is not what the message of Jesus is all about. That's not what it is to follow Jesus. That's just religion. Because for those of us who believe in Jesus now, there is now no condemnation. There isn't in Christ Jesus, no condemnation. So when you feel that pang of guilt rise up within you and you just feel lousy about yourself and horrible, that's when you've got to kind of slap yourself around the face and talk some truth to yourself. Say, no, what does the Bible say? I'm forgiven. I'm made righteous now. The Father loves me. You remind yourself is what is actually true. Often the problem is we spend too much time 
listening to ourselves and not enough time talking to ourselves. <laughs> I know that's true for me. I listen to all these lies, all these things that my brain tells myself, and sometimes I think, no, oh, that's just the enemy, that's just the accuser. I need to tell myself what's actually true, and what Jesus has really, has really done for me. Or it might be that you read the Ten Commandments and it's not that you, you want to try a bit harder, but maybe you come to it and you feel pretty good about yourself. You read that list and you think, I've never murdered anyone. Yes! <laughs> Smashed it. <laughs> Commandments, tick, done. We can feel that quite easily. That's often how we can think. You can think, oh, I've, I've never had a, an, an idol in my living room that I've worshipped. Commandment one, tick, done, complete. And often that's depending on your personality. That might be how you come to God, feeling pretty proud of yourself. Yeah, that's how that rich ruler came to Jesus. Oh, I've done more. I've completed all the levels. I'm done. What's next? But in Matthew 5, Jesus, he takes the Ten Commandments in this Sermon on the Mount, and he talks through them, and he says, you have heard it said. And then he kind of unpacks and reinterprets, I think, about five or six of them. And what he does is he takes them to a completely another level. To a level which you think, I, I can't do that. And what Jesus is doing is not just trying to make things harder for us, but he's telling us that we need a savior that actually we might be very good at being religious, but it's still not enough. Because it's not about what our, all our accomplishments, all our good deeds. You might look to that, other people might look at that. Jesus looks at your heart. And he discerns, like he did with that rich ruler, who could say, I've done everything. He looks at the heart and says, money is your idol. You need to kill that. You come follow me instead. That's what Jesus does. He looks right at our hearts. He sees what's really going on. There's this wonderful story in Philippians. Well, a story. There's what Paul says in Philippians where he kind of says that, you know, if, if anybody could come to, to God and show how righteous they were by their own efforts, I can. And then Paul lists off all these accomplishments, all these things that he's done and how impressive he can make himself sound. And then he says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. So saying to this, he, he could come and say, I have a righteousness which is of myself. I've made myself right before God. I've made myself perfect before him because I followed the law. And he's saying to us, that doesn't work. And he's counted them as rubbish. Did you see what it said that? I count them as rubbish. Actually, that's quite a polite way that the Bible interprets that word. I count them as rubbish that I mean gain Christ. You could also translate that as like kind of waste, human waste, like excrement. I was, um, a few years ago, I was, I was helping to film a video 
uh, and I was, we were videoing a, a guy who's a pastor in England called Terry Virgo. We're walking through this field together to where we're going to go and shoot this video, me and him and a, and a cameraman. And, uh, and we're walking along, and he suddenly puts his arm out in front of me and stops me. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? And he says, look out. I'm like, look, look out for what? And he says, there's some religion down there. I was like, what on earth are you talking about? I look down, and in front of me is this steaming pile of dog poo. Just dog mess, just there. You know, I was about to put my foot in it. He said, watch out, there's some religion down there. And that's what Paul is saying to us, that religion, your own accomplishments, your own feeling good about all the great things you've done, if you, if you get into that lifestyle of all the time trying to please God, and I know I slip into that so easily, I can feel good about myself. I've had a great day. Those things I did yesterday, I haven't done them today. Yes. I can come and I can throw my hands in the air and worship God because I've had a brilliant week. That's just religion. You've got some mess on your shoe. You need to get rid of it. You know, when you get it on your shoe, that's not easy to get off either. We can so easily slip into a lifestyle of just performance. Of just ticking off the lists. You can go to church and you can hear the preacher just give you a to-do list. You know, try a little bit harder here. You know, work harder at your relationships. Be nicer to people. Care for the poor. And you can think, great, that's what my life's going to look like now. That's just religion. It's just rubbish. Paul just says, that's, that's my own righteousness under the law. And I count that as loss, as rubbish. It's gone now. Because that's not what Christianity is about. It's about putting our faith in Jesus and following him and realizing that even, even the smallest kind of moment of faith within our hearts to follow him, that's from God anyway. That's just his power at work within us. And you might have flipped around now and be thinking, I think before he was saying that you know, the commandments that aren't actually a bad thing after all and we should follow them. And now you're thinking, wait a minute, are they, are they the dog mess and we shouldn't follow them? You're probably a bit confused here. Well, it says in, in Romans 6, Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? See, what Jesus is calling you to is a life where you abide in him. And he, by the Holy Spirit, abides and lives within you. And then when that happens, you, you'll bear fruit. You will. You know, should we carry on? Should we just ignore the Ten Commandments? Well, no. Because Christ is in us now. There's this powerful thing within us now that just makes me just not want to do those things anymore. You know, I read that list and I think, no, I want to live like this. I don't have to live like this, but I want to now. Because Christ within me kind of is at work within me to change how I think and what I believe. He comes and re removes all that condemnation. He takes away all that guilt and shame and puts within me a heart that wants to follow him. Not all in one step. Sometimes we, we, we still wrestle with sin. Of course we do. But little by little, he's transforming us by his grace. 
See, because Jesus has, he's delivered us from a, a slave master so much greater than what the Egyptians had to be rescued from. You know, Pharaoh was small fry compared to sin and death. But Jesus has defeated that. He's delivered you. You've been drawn out. You've, you've had your own Red Sea experience. Far more powerful and dramatic than that. So we, you've died with Christ. and You're raised again with him. He's given you this new life now. So, you know, he's, he was crushed under the weight of your sin. So now we can obey not because we have to, but because Christ within us now makes us want to live completely differently. Let's stop now, and I'm going to pray, and then the band are going to come and lead us in some songs of worship. Jesus, we read these words in this book, and sometimes they don't make any sense to us. Sometimes they confuse us. We thank you, Father, that you've given them to us for our good, to grow us and to change us. But we don't read this list of things to do and think, if I can just complete the list, maybe God will like me. Because now you love us unconditionally, with no conditions attached. You know, shall, we follow, shall we follow this list? Well, yes. We're not any more like slaves or prisoners. We're like your children now. They just want to say, well, that's what my dad says, so I want to do that. (laughs) Because my dad says so. And when we slip up and we fail, which we will, you pick us up. You hold us. You speak your love and your tenderness and your promises to us. You set us back on our feet. You set us off again. Thank you so much that you're a loving, kind Father. And we want to live lives of obedience to you in response to all that you've done, your wonderful love for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you've you died for us. You fulfilled the law so we don't have to anymore. You took the punishment that was we should have taken. So now we don't need to keep punishing ourselves and beating ourselves up and saying, oh, come on, sinner, live better, live better. Come on, you can do it. Because Jesus has already died for us and taken our place. Thank you, Jesus, for your wonderful, wonderful grace. We pray, help us to live in the good of it by your power. Amen.